Lots of idle fingers snapped to my command A lovely pair of heels that kicked to beat the band Contemplating nature can be fascinating It's time for the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly. And this is Caroline. And tonight we're here to talk about episodes seven and eight from Amazon's The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, the second season, just kind of encompass the part of Midge's budding life as as a comedian where she has come clean with her family. That little, you know, kind of uh, threes company aspect of the plot is over. She's not hiding anymore. She's now going to try to do it for realsies in these two episodes. And that's what makes these two sit together, I think, nicely as a, as a chapter in, in her story. Let's delve in. We're going to go character by character and not by the singular plot of each of the episodes. So we will carry each character all the way through from seven to eight. And we're going to start off with Joel, old ex-husband, sort of, kind of, Joel. They're sort of still midway in this process. Not really divorced, not definitely not together. He has had this success, I will call it, with with purchasing the building, that's a really big deal. I think he probably went to business school, right? Whereas his parents just... I do assume just, so. Uh, you know, started a business. He actually has training in business. So I'm assuming I don't have any training in business. <laughs> so I'd have to assume that what they were spending in rent every every month was outrageous compared to what it would be just to buy the thing and the advantages you'd have of how then you would then have people paying you rent in the other spaces in the building. Right. Financially, it seems like it makes a lot of sense. And then also just like ownership wise, though, it's like you finally own your business, own that the building and the contents inside. So that's a very exciting step. Mrs. Mouskowitz moving over from the previous company that Joel worked for into this situation is such a delightful comedic moment for me. She's a wonderful character. I love her. Paul. She is like the unsung hero of the Joel plot line because Joel generally I'm not very interested in. And no. Mrs. Moskowitz, man, she has some zingers in there. Joel has this like brazy revolving door of women and Mrs. Moskowitz actually keeps a dating calendar. So he'll like glance over and I'm going to use the word dating very loosely. Right. They come over to his cleaned up area. <laughs> of the, right. <laughs> in the side area of of the of the uh, textile mill. Exactly. And, and they're all like the dress models. So it's not like he goes out and picks them up on the street or something like these are women who are there at work that, like you said, basically walk into the cleaned up area of the work and essentially sleep with him. Mrs. Moskowitz pointed out like he doesn't ever leave. He doesn't take them to dinner. This is just a thing. You know, Archie will pass out the cab money at the end of the night. Good Lord. I love how she gets a chance to speak during Joel's little little announcement and she just advises everyone. I think it was to use coasters. Yes, exactly. Yes. Too funny. Yes. But even the way that she talks to the girls and she's like, you ought to put a doorbell on your chest if you're going to be like that available. Right. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Too good. See, in our little life, Caroline has used the term looking available uh, as like a descriptor for women or herself throughout the whole time I've known her. And I didn't know the term looking available before I met her. But she knew this term (laughs) as as a 17 year old girl when I met her. 
And <laughs> and yeah, so it's funny to see it in use again. That's funny. I, I picked it up from an earlier life. I've been reincarnated. Yeah. I was once a dress model. An old soul. An old whore. <laughs> <laughs> there was a really interesting little Gilmore Girls moment for me when Archie is putting drunk Joel to bed. He's like taking his shoes off. Joel is just muttering to himself. If you guys are Gilmore Girls fans, if you remember when Luke is putting Dean to bed and he's like, Rory, Rory, I just, you know, I want I want to be back with her and like this forgiveness sort of spiel that he's just barely muttering. It's very reminiscent of what Joel basically looks like. And even the kind of the cot of the bed and everything looks very similar. I didn't remember that that scene. Why would Luke give a shit about Dean? Dean was getting married and this was like his bachelor party night. He was out with friends drunk and they had come into the diner to get some burgers basically to like sop up some of the alcohol. And he put his head down on the table and started like saying something about Rory. And Luke recognized like he, he was basically going to like out himself for still loving Rory and not wanting to get married. Okay. And so he like advised the guys like, why don't you guys go ahead and I'm, I'm going to take care of him. And so he was basically having him go. He, it ended up like sleeping there for the night, but he basically took him over because he was going to embarrass himself, essentially. This little scene has the same mechanics, but the idea behind it is Again, Joel's seeking redemption this this season, right? Yeah. Conscience coming out and, and it's saying what his underlying drive for all this stuff has been all, all season is just, when will I get forgiven? That, that kind of thing. Archie has no answers for him. <laughs> Poor Archie. Stuck with this guy. So in addition to this work life, Joel is in charge of the kids while while Midge is off doing her tour. I was glad that they showed little glimpses of that, that they actually had the kids go to the factory and were really a part of Joel's life. That was nice. I thought that, you know, a lot of times when women go off and do something, the first question is, who has the kids? And I'm always like, their father. Like, and it's not like, oh, like he's babysitting them. Like, no, he, he right. it's not called babysitting when it's a parent. No. And so I thought that it was cool that like, of course, her parents and of course, there were babysitters, I'm sure. But I thought it was great that they did show like, you know, uh, the father could 100 percent be taking care of these kids, especially given the setup with his like apartment and the factory and the everything. He could obviously have the kids quiet feminist moment, I thought. Do you have uh, any idea whose parents did a bad job keeping track of their kids? I'm going to say Susie's. I think Susie's. I don't have that in like writing, <laughs> but the way that these kids interact are with, with one each another. <laughs> other, yeah, it seems like there's a lot of bad business in that house, right? I agree. I mean, first of all, uh, for all you Gimmel Girls lovers, uh, Francie should have been recognizable as Tess, her sister, who is married to, is his name Skint? I, I think that's what she was Skint. saying. Skint. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So I think that that is... The guy with the ill-fitting fake leg. Oh, my God. But isn't skint like another word for like poor? Skinflint is a skin someone, who, so, flint, someone who is but, frugal. Yeah. No. Skint as an adjective is a person having little or no money is what a skint Man, is. And that's your nickname? Jeez. Or that's his actual name. I don't know. Holy crap. Yeah. So I thought that was really funny and like a little jabity jab, right? Her brother is a train wreck. How he just keeps insisting they're not even related. What the frig? 
So the whole reason why we're meeting Susie's fam is because, of course, to give us some background to, you know, fill out her character, she had a really rough childhood between the comments that she had on the tour of like, she remembers poking her cousins in the eye in order to stop being like sexually molested. Right. She was like, good times, you know, like, okay. And then obviously the, the sad sacks that are her siblings, the mother is Is a raging alcoholic, is an alcoholic. Right. And the best thing that can come of all this is that Tess turns over the keys to mom's car. And that is what gives us the transportation to be able to go on tour. I actually really enjoyed the little sad conversation between sisters there on the pier or the dock, whatever the right terminology is, when, uh, especially when Susie says, well, how are you? And she goes, oh, you know, terrible. (laughs) (laughs) The writing is so fantastic. I feel like there are so many moments in the show that, you know, we could basically just sit here and read like a a script reading right and and it would still be super entertaining we could gender swap them to make it even more uh, interesting i think that would be super fun maybe in the future that's a podcast we'll have to do like gender swapped podcast and just read read scripts how fun would that be uh that might get us more listeners than we've ever had oh my god that you know what paul that's this is how great ideas are born we just, just gender swap lines on on a podcast well, it wasn't and, really about that it was more like just talking it out than like the, the, the natural way that we just came up with that i love uh, it yeah okay. i love it synergy Oh my gosh. So let's move over to Midge because the her whole business in Seven is really important to the, I think, the overall theme of the entire show. Well, since I've cheated and seen <gasps> episodes nine and I ten. I cannot believe you did, Paul. I can say that you are on the right track. Oh my God. Y'all, I've not seen nine and ten and this is a real betrayal. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'll take my beak from out her heart oh so that my we can continue God, the podcast. You watched ahead. Jesus. All right. Well, I'll forgive you, but let's talk about the art show with Benjamin and generally their relationship. How are you feeling about Ben? Ben hasn't done anything to like lose any sense of his charms with me so far i can see that they like to spend time together they are doing something that only he likes she has no idea about art and cares about it as much as any person who's never thought about it does which is you know just a little bit but not much which is interesting because her mom really has an appreciation for art that oh certainly uh, midge didn't seem to inherit that is something that's a little bit off with the depiction of Midge's upbringing. It's a little confusing sometimes, given that she seems to have this very, I'm going to say like proper life. And she went to college and she has been in this world of art and music in her own home. And so there's moments like this that I feel a little bit like, I feel like you would have attended an art show before multiple times. And even that, you know, names of artists would probably be somewhat familiar to you. Um, you know, just within your circles of friends and whatnot. I'm not quite sure why she sort of gets a pass. Like, well, of course, this would be kind of new to her, you know? Uh, not uh, sticking up for her or anything, but here's here's my thoughts. Might mitigate that, right? A, these are New York artists of the day. So she may have gotten taught things about the masters. That doesn't take into account the current New York art scene, right? So maybe there's that, maybe. Okay. And then I think the second part was, I think there was a little wink at the audience 
kind of indicating that this was a very pretentious affair full of people with their heads up their asses that, you know, the stuff that they know doesn't really matter anyway. The moment was when the woman was admiring the way that the paint had splattered on the ladder that the man was using to take the painting off the wall. Of course. As if that was a deliberate act of artistic expression. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I think that that is a great sum up of of the tone of this entire portion of the plot. You know, people who try to act like they know shit about art are a joke, you know? <laughs> Basically, yeah. And so I, I do appreciate that. I, I thought there were a lot of really funny moments in this. I really enjoyed the chemistry between Benjamin and Midge. The whole part where, you know, Benjamin's like, ogling different artists and sh- and then getting angry at the one and she's like do you want to distract him and i'll fuck up his drink that is just like i i love that and i feel like i would 100 percent say that you would yeah <laughs> and i would agreed. even fuck up his drink like i totally would so like moments like that i'm just like oh you feel so good to me midge like you're a character i just adore Love, love, love. I really thought it was great and true to Midge's heart that they had her go into that little room and buy the painting from the artist that was like being like in the broom closet practically. Right. I thought that was really cute. And I love that it came with a hat. Oh, my God. How did Ben describe that room? And goes, she goes, uh, it's off in the side where they keep the sad little artist in their, in their painting or something like that. And he goes, and the mops. <laughs> 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 oh my God. It's too funny. I loved it. So we go from there. We head over to a bar and we have a little, I think, foreshadowing perhaps where we see the women's rights uh, leader who's having a drink at the bar and she uh, encourages Midge to come back over and be more a part of it. I'm wondering if in season three, we might not see a little bit more action in that developing that side of the plot a little. Certainly women's rights in the 60s are going to come on full fledged. That makes a lot of sense. I kind of felt like dipping our toe back into seeing her for a minute was like a little like hey psst, remember her remember that whole well, thing the way that the the whole the, the the season's starting to go here is that things that have been happening to midge and have are finally starting to sink in like in terms of like the comedy career is something that was just sort of like bam she just like kind of it, it it took a couple episodes i guess but it felt right and so she just did it And then everything else has just kind of been dripping off of that one decision. And so now I think we're starting to see where things are starting to get a little more cerebral in her, you know, Mm. where things are starting to get bounce around in her head more and starting to be more of who she is and who she wants to be. But she's not sure who that is yet. She's still very formative, I guess, in in that. I think dropping in civil rights, woman's rights lady right now might be like a way to add in a dropper full that aspect to her future self. I think it's exciting. And I think that it's something that will be a a real education to the audience, I bet, you know, when we get into those things. I think that Midge will be a great voice to to show how things were and how things change, you know, and, and the work that was done. So I think that that'll be really cool. Now, speaking to exactly your point, the entire Declan Howell artist thread in this in these couple of episodes. I don't want to get too deep into him as much as what he represents and what was the message that we were supposed to get out of his 
moment here? Well, first, let me just mention he's played by a guy named Rufus Sewell, who I first saw on screen in a movie, one of my favorite movies called Dark City. It's a science fiction story and a lot of famous people are in it and it has a twist at the end. Roger Ebert called it one of his favorite movies of the year it came out. It was just as fantastic movie. He's turned up in a lot of little things here and there since then. But what he is busy with right now is he is the antagonist lead in Amazon's other big show, Man in the High Castle. So it's like he's already, you know, kind of on quote unquote, the lot, you know, for Amazon, basically. Yeah, that makes sense. I got to meet him at Comic-Con last year for his show, uh, Man in the High Castle. If you don't know, he plays basically an American collaborator who becomes a Nazi. Speaking to him about that was like, you know, sometimes you talk to people who who were actors and they they're like, you know, I, I'm I, I admit that I am a skilled reader of lines, you know, and and that's about it. And but talking to him was like, no, he had read all this Nazi shit to prepare for this role, so that he could properly find a way through his performance and through what he was given as from the writing to try to make the audience empathize with someone who is only ever demonized in Western pop culture, a Nazi. He wants you to to think of him, to recognize, yes, that's a shitty part about him, but he's a complicated guy. <laughs> you know, it's not that simple. He's not just a Nazi. And, and in, largely it works. And so the dude is a good actor is what that that sums up to he's a really thoughtful good actor so seeing him in this was like wow that's that's really interesting and i like i like that 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 was his background coming in because i feel like that is much of the character that he's playing he's playing really quite an unlikable guy you know there's parts to him that are you know so brash and you know the drunkenness and the Mm -hmm. you know just rudeness and everything is really over the top I think that, you know, like Benjamin represents probably the masses in terms of just being like, this guy's a dick, you know, let's just stay away from him. And I like that Midge is like, you know, that little small percent that's like, you know what, if we play our cards right, I think that we could probably figure out more about this guy. And, you know, there's more to this. The message that I got from Declan Howell's life and everything he was expressing to us, I guess there's two parts to it. One was that in order to become his full artist self, there were a lot of things that he gave up, and most especially his family. And in doing that, it seemed like, you know, we were supposed to look at Midge and understand that while this is wonderful that she's finding herself, and it is, there's a lot of parts to this that she stands to really mess up. Certainly the relationship with her dad has been really altered. It suffered. You know, the kids, I feel like they haven't focused on that yet. The kids are very small. Um, and the little small nuggets we've gotten is that they're pretty oblivious to the fact that she's gone. Because if, if you really paid attention to season one, I mean, they were busy doing stuff with the grandparents or with the babysitter and stuff pretty much always anyway Howdy, duty, et cetera. yeah that was pretty much the the plan in moving to an apartment right right near to her parents i'm not going to count that as hard but certainly you could understand how long term 
you know, this was going to be an obstacle. Her career was going to be a problem for her to try to be her best comedian self and actually care about all these other people. That was fully explored to me with Declan Howell's story. Additionally, for me, I felt like the piece of art in the hidden room, a little bit to me that made me wonder if it was a lot about this idea of like, you can't hide your light under a bushel somewhere and ever get really where you want to be. So this was like his best work, his most important work, but no one was really ever going to see it. That was sort of his plan. I wondered a little bit if that was an impetus to her deciding to finally come out to her family and to be willing to go on this tour and be like, if you're going to if you're going to live this life, you have to like live out loud or else you're essentially hiding your work like in a little room. I agree with all that. The idea of trading thing, trading in your life for your passion or your relationships for your for your art, the the painting, you could see maybe in like 5 seasons or something like that when she's on the verge of becoming a huge whatever she she has a written set it's a perfect set but she never performs it because it's just for her <laughs> you know what i mean oh, i like that uh, that kind of thing would really tie it back in i think so yeah i might just be bullshitting here but do you remember when we were in college and the true hollywood stories were a thing on vh1 sure. that were very popular to to watch because they were short. You felt like you knew something when you were done watching them. Do you remember the one on Andy Kaufman? I do. Do you remember that as part of his weird persona, he would perform as a character that he called Lenny Bruce, which was styled after Lenny Bruce. And he would go to comedy clubs, apparently, and say he was Lenny Bruce. But everybody knew it was Andy Kaufman pretending to be Lenny Bruce. Do you remember this? Yes. It was a complicated <laughs> act. But for kids growing up when we did and watching true Hollywood stories in, in the 90s, we didn't know Lenny Bruce was. We marginally knew who Andy Kaufman was. So they had to take a moment and explain who Lenny Bruce was and why it mattered to Andy Kaufman. I'm not going to explain any of that shit, except to say that- Look it up, y'all. I'm sure it's on YouTube. Except that they explained at the time Lenny Bruce to be basically someone who like almost made it like sort of like a comedian's comedian something that comedians uh respected and enjoyed but never really found like the big like jerry seinfeld type audience interesting so there's something about this guy declan and their usage of lenny which kind of seems to jive if you if i'm not made of complete bullshit on this point i really like that i think that that's very interesting and i think the idea of him being like an artist's artist mm -hmm. you know that's is, what they explained him to be exactly right? yeah the because, art world loves him but he won't sell his stuff yeah that he doesn't right he doesn't want to be out for the masses basically mm -hmm. so this will be interesting to see will midge be a comedian's comedian or does she sell her art to the masses? What will she choose to do? Mm -hmm. So we have this little beginning tour here where essentially she's selling her art to the masses, right? She's going to finally go out there and do this. That's the idea. And wow, what a shit show, Paul. What a shit show. Literally. Can I say a very minor comment? First of all, let's just lead off with the most inconsequential comment of all. Okay. Why do they focus on the license plates at all when there was no resolution to the license plate? I mean, they show it like a big deal that the car stolen. So they got to put different license plates on it. And that's what you do with stolen cars. If you didn't know, you got to swap out license plates. And so the, the, the guy from the gaslight helps him with license plates. And then, then they even show the license plate fall off during a, during a particularly bad yeah. part during the shower forgetting scene. Right. Right. At the gas station. Yeah. And then nothing else. 
it's almost like they had a plot thread there where it was going to get even worse because they like got they were going to get pulled over, over right, right? Obviously, but then nothing happened. That's weird. I wonder if that just got edited out. That's funky. It seems like you'd have to edit out the rest of that shit too. I, the license plates weren't a thing. Don't worry about it. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, that is. That's interesting, Paul. I don't know. That's one of those. If we get to stand in front of Amy someday, you could be like, tell me about that license plate thing. Yeah, well, <laughs> where, where were you going with that? That's funny. Well, so before we can go on tour, she has to come clean with her family and we have to have Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. I am not well versed in my high holy days, but apparently this one is all about cleansing the past year's sins and leaving you with a clean slate for the year to come. Yeah. And so we have that great temple scene, everything with um, Shirley and Moish and like the fact that Shirley's tied her mom to the pew there. Oh my God, cracked me up. The small moments, the tiny moments. And how the Wisemans oh and the Mazels are still stuck together because that's where they bought their yeah. their spots in, in Temple. Mm-hmm. So they still have to run into each other and talk to each other. And that's, I mean, the, the two patriarchs, I think they hate each other, right? I oh, mean, absolutely. Like if one yeah. called the other and said, hey, uh, you know, I'm stuck in New Jersey. Can you come get me? Uh, there's a, a gang around me. I think the other one would say, fuck off. I don't know who this is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely think that the time in the Catskills displayed their relationship. And yeah, they are like, I cannot spend any time with them anymore. Well, we have the the cool like parallel scene of getting the rabbi in the butcher shop. I loved that. I thought that was funny and cool. Hey, lady, they're all livers or whatever the guy I know, said. right? And I love that all the rest of the women in the shop were like, oh, <laughs> you need to back off, dude. When's the last time you even bought a liver at a butcher? Is that a question to me? Yeah, you. Never. I don't even, I would never buy a liver <laughs> and I don't <laughs> ever go in a butcher shop. So let's talk for a second about Astrid because I know that she was getting some heat on her portrayal of a converted Christian to a Jew. And what do you think is going on with the Astrid character? I think, I think they're just trying to be kind of tongue in cheek and cutesy about it. I don't think they're trying to offend anybody. And if they are, they're, they're willing to offend a super small minority of their, of their audience. Jewish converts on a show that's already on a streaming network, which means like take a, take a small pie and then take a little sliver of them. You're like, are you willing to offend them? Yes. Okay. Then that's what they did. It wasn't necessarily even offensive. And I know that they show her being like very over the top, but to me, it's really just like a little example of anybody who has been born into a family or a way of life is going to have a real casual laid back, almost dismissive attitude towards the traditions and the customs of what is just what they know as, you know, their everyday life. But when you inject somebody who has chosen to follow that path and actually studies it and wants to be a devout and good, whatever it is, in this case, Jew, that they're always going to come off over the top and like a little bit like hard to handle. And like, that's just, it it always is that way. You know, it doesn't really matter what the little piece of the pie is. It's like, if you didn't grow up this way, but you chose and you're in here, you're like, you've seen it, Paul. You've seen it in sci-fi. You've seen it in sports. We're like the girl who had no freaking interest in XYZ, but now suddenly is a convert to whatever it is, is like the loudest shirt wearing, ball cap wearing, knows everything, just like 
shut up. Those of us who like grew up in this world do not need to be so loud. You know, <laughs> surely you've seen it in the sci-fi world. Even just the new guy at work who all of a sudden gets like 20 things done where you normally get 10 things done. You're like, you're like simmer down. That'll, that, that won't keep, dude. Yeah, just like simmer. <laughs> right. Simmer, simmer. So I, I think that Astrid is totally harmless and the people who are getting really mad or saying they're like losing interest in the show because of the way that she's portrayed, I feel like, okay. I mean, I think that they're showing this tiny little part of a of one tiny character's personality. I don't I don't really think it's actually offensive. It's a comedy. It's an hour long comedy, basically. It's not a sitcom. It's not there's no laugh track, but yeah, they're gonna they're gonna make jokes. And this is a spot where they can and do and I think they all work. I do too. Let's talk about actual dinner. Dinner. All right. So first of all, Astrid has big news at dinner. Pregnant. Pregnant. All of the stuff she's been uh, smearing on herself (laughs) must have worked. Gross. So that's exciting. That'll be a cool story for season three with Astrid and Noah to be having a baby. That's going to be exciting. I like that. But the big, big news is Midge is finally going to come out to her fam. If she can fucking say it. This, I mean, it took forever. And, You're doing and Zelda, it right now. I know, I know. <laughs> well, I'm not a I'm not a professional comedian. I'm a semi-professional podcaster. Zelda with like that was oh one part that gosh. I really liked how the how the maids had like a choreography, a typical kind of choreography where it was almost like synchronized swimming. It's like one would turn, the other would turn, the other would turn, the other would turn, and then they'd go they'd back. Circle back around yeah. the table. Yeah, yeah, it was really funny. I love that. And I love that, you know, that Amy continues to have this love affair with the staff and the concept of having a staff and that they're all dressed in these pink uniforms and everything. Like, it's all so funny. And, you know, I just, it's it's like formality in like such a funny, ridiculous way, you know? Mm-hmm. Love it. So, So Midge finally does spit out that she is going to become a comedian and they have that horrible part where, oh God, she had to pick like the most awkward of situations and explaining, you know, this joke about Ethan and the bullying and that mama didn't raise no pussy and the whole table's like, what? <laughs> like, first of all, like everybody's point on it where Rose is like, which park was this? Well, that sounds terrible. And then they're like, that's not funny. The whole thing was like, just, oh my God, you're crashing and burning so hard. Does that that scene for completely other reasons remind you of the Sunday night dinners that we have sometimes where where we have other people who are in different generations, whatever. So they'll be laughing at something. And then the other end of the table will be like, Hey, want to tell me what's going on? And you're, and so we try. And then it's like, it's like a complete like telephone tag story until finally the, the, everybody has heard all the same words, but it it gets the same kind of reaction where Moish is like, I got to tell you, that joke sucked or whatever you said. Right. Well, yes, I do think that. And I also think that like what often happens is that we'll be all talking at the table and someone will be like one or two feet away from the table and then they'll come over and they'll be like, hey, did you guys hear about that thing? You know, the thing we've just been talking about for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, it does. So I also have a big family and this dinner table, that's just a regular Sunday dinner. That's not Yom Kippur that we have great grandma and everybody. And so there's a lot of just like someone's talking about something and then suddenly someone's like, you know, pass the potatoes. And it's like, it's very chaotic. And you have to explain things to 
death. Yes. By the time, if it was funny, funny. it's never right. It's not funny anymore. Right. Because, (laughs) I mean, the the joke just dies this slow, awful death. And it is like like, like we're skinning the joke over the table. And it's terrible. And yeah, it's very purple monkey dishwasher by the time you get to the other end of the table. But you know what? They finally do absorb the fact that she's a comedian. And Abe's response, I think, is fantastic where he's like, what? How could you? Your father. (laughs) Oh, my God. That whole thing. I loved it. And I super loved Abe. First of all, I loved Abe 100% this entire time. There's not one part of Abe that I did not love. I uh, To highlight him in a couple little parts here, when Susie comes in and she's like, hi, Abe. He's like, hello, person I've never met before who has discerned accurately that my name is Abe that I'm meeting for the first time. And she's like, oh, <laughs> like that whole thing. Oh, my God, Abe. Oh, or, he's uh, written when, so well. But Noah, uh, he's like, what is he giving, offering a drink or bringing him a drink? Yes. He's like, oh, well, thank you for explaining my options so clearly. Yeah, I feel like I want to use that. It's in my back pocket. I'm, I'm totally going to. I also thought that the whole portion about Abe listening to the children's records was hysterical. Mm, And oh my God, Midge trying to talk to her dad and trying to get through. And he is like, I'm doing this serious work. And then he turns it on. It's like, I wiped my butt. (laughs) It was so funny. So well done. I mean, I'm just super impressed with the whole thing. And that, I mean, he does really so good. I mean, he's just so good because that is, I know engineers, right? And that's the way they, they really think, right? He wasn't listening to the words. He was trying to see if they stayed within the same octave. Right. You know what I mean? Uh He didn't care what they said. So th- yeah, so he's, I'm doing I'm doing a, a serious Very scientific serious work. work for the government. It's a big deal, and then yeah, wipe my butt. Which hey, I do want to mention that when later in Midge's act, when she blurts out about her dad working for Bell Labs and the project, I mean. I feel like I have like whiplash with how fast I turned to you and was like, that's a problem. She should have never talked about that. That's going to come back to haunt her. And I'm still feeling very strongly that that's coming back to haunt her. I won't say for sure. I just feel it definitely, definitely is. So right before um, they head off on tour, this uh, luncheon happens with Imogene. They talk about um, that, how Midge is going to play in this wonderful baby shower. I really liked that they wrote in the actresses who plays Imogene, her real life pregnancy into this. I thought that was cute. I don't know how I feel about this shower and the concept of all of this lead up before the tour talking about the baby shower. And then she just forgets about it I we just we talked about it while it was playing out and how someone who someone who is so organized with her shit that she measures herself to make sure that she is staying within her uh her size tolerances and all like her biceps and shit right this, yeah. is, this is the person who keeps track of her shit right i think so so the fact that i mean the tour wasn't ambiguous it was you're performing in pennsylvania on this day. Right. Given that they were going there in like a a motorized chair, <laughs> um, they weren't going to get back and forth in the same day. Never going to happen. You yeah, know? It was just weird because I felt like they, while a lot of things went wrong in the tour, and we're definitely going to talk about that, 
they did not express that like they were off by several days or something. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Something that would have created this big problem with the shower and not being there and her even calling home and Abe, you know, saying stuff's going on, chairs are coming in, food's coming out. And, and it takes her so long to put it together I just, I don't know. I mean, I get that they're trying to show that she's really losing grasp of what's going on at home. Yeah. I, I do get that. I just, it felt a little forced for me. Well, and, and the, the the trade again, the trade yes. of, of, of the career for this, in, in exchange for this event that she had planned, that she had wanted, that all of her friends and family were at. Right. You noticed the men were there too, right? Oh yeah, I totally did. Uh, but instead- it it just slips her mind. And 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 more importantly than the event, I think that in addition, we didn't mention Emma Jean, but like so in addition to the children and the parents, like the fact that she wasn't there for her friend either, you know? Yeah. That was terrible. And and that all her responsibilities are falling upon Rose, who makes a very big point of <laughs> making sure that Midge knows this. Did you feel like it was effective to have Midge come in at the end of the tour and have this Again, kind of eyebrow, like, did these people really, they didn't have a rave. They had a baby shower. I don't really believe people left their napkins and plates and everything all over. But okay, maybe. It's how parents do things, right? So this reminds me exactly of a period in high school when one Caroline was thinking of changing her career path away from what her parents wanted her to do. And she says, Dad, I want to take pre-cal and and stop playing softball, something that she'd been doing since she was five years old. And his response (laughs) still lives on to this day in memory. He says, fuck pre-cal. It's like, that's- My dad does not talk like that. That's the important portion of that too. And how important that it wasn't about playing softball, but it was about athletics, that like being an athlete was the most important thing that I could be. And uh, and to be fair, I was changing that so that I could have more after school time with my boyfriend. So just to be clear, there was a lot of bad choices that were being made just then. And yeah, I think dad saw right through that shit and was not having it. It still it adds up to the same kind of thing where parents can. Oh, yeah. Flex. Yeah, Yeah. pretty hard uh, there when they don't support what you're doing. So they. Do allow, you know, enough childcare and enough support for Midge to take off on this tour. And there are so many things that go wrong. For me, uh, you know, let's just hit some like bullet points here. The absolute worst was the second hotel. Like I'm gagging even talking about it. <laughs> Hello. Oh my God, you guys. <laughs> when Susie walks in and f- goes and has to flush the toilet, <laughs> And then continues to doing that hello to like stains on the bed and stuff. You guys, I was like rocking back and forth. That toilet thing is like my absolute, absolute nightmare. I mean, I know that it's representative of the whole room not being clean, but oh my God, I'm dying. I am dying. What was your, what was your biggest thing for you? Um, well, let's see. Uh, you already took the, the shit. So, uh, <laughs> let's repeat that. Caroline well, I, took the yeah, shit. I was going to say, I don't, I don't know about that wording. Uh, that hotel also had, it had the bed 
that um, Susie started on where she said hello and then she jumps into the other bed as like that's an upgrade that had a clear gigantic brown like wipe stain on the corner where the of the feet you know yeah and then that's the bed where she wound up getting all the bites and I guess oh. we're just supposed to assume that that Midge slept like a horse just like stood up in that one I, spot I think so definitely I think she was trying not to touch anything for sure but the first hotel actually had a few cute little moments where Midge has only ever traveled in style. So the idea that that she'd be carrying up her own bags and all that kind of stuff. Or even that she thought, remember when she threw Susie's suitcase, suitcase, I'll use in quotes, right. in the trash because it was just like a paper bag. Right. And she's like, that's my shit. It's like, uh, where's your suitcase? It's like, I don't know, in my imagination. <laughs> like that whole thing was like, oh my, what do you take on vacation? Oh. Oh, that was so funny. Oh, they were so good at this. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, I agree with you. Those little moments definitely exposing the fact that, you know, she really doesn't know what's going on and that Susie doesn't really know how to really relate to her. You know, the the fact that she didn't ask, like, why are you not taking your bags, you know, or the fact that they didn't have a dressing room. Yeah. And, you know, that wasn't really like, oh, yeah, you should that that needs to be hashed out. It's, you always come dressed. It's so Yeah, so. exactly. And she didn't really think about it that like. That's not what Midge wears all the time. She needs a place to put on her clothes, you know. So I liked that they really started to tease out all these little moments and how very excited they were to be back in New York, which in theory should have been the very best show because they were so thrilled to be finally home after all these mishaps and craziness. And then... And it, they, she killed. She was amazing. And then they have the situation where because they were a couple minutes late, the booker decides he doesn't need to pay them. Now, tell me what you thought about how all this played out from the closet to the Joel call. Um, well, I wasn't alive in that period of time. So I, no. I don't know that that would have been... I mean, I understand that the progression of the relationship between men and women to its current state needed to go through a lot of ugly periods where m men were super unfair to, to women. Up and to I think you pointed times. out really accurately that they that women were treated like children. That was a really huge part too. Exactly, like that is that is a huge aspect of both um this and uh and mad men how like in mad men they they always refer to women as girls always yes and they mean full-grown women working earning a wage but they always say girls and so this is very similar i mean and and in, in addition to that susie is girl sized you know so pushing her in the closet i mean i <laughs> I have to imagine that in some realm of the universe, this would have been acceptable in that time frame. I don't, I don't condone it. I don't think it's a, a good choice. And I think it's super unfair for that guy to have, to have been playing them off like that. There's a pretty good in, uh, intention of his that he probably never was going to pay them if, even if they'd been early, you know what I mean? Yeah. Good call. Just because he thought he could get away with this from two women. So, so what did you think about the fact that they called Joel versus calling Benjamin? 
I would have called Benjamin. He's a much bigger guy. God, and didn't they depict that so well? I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna do the it's still a man's world kind of thing, then get the biggest fucking man you but have like on that, the roster. Paul, right? he was like a six seven doctor versus Joel, you know, who here's the thing though. Maybe Benjamin would be like, uh, you know, like maybe two high end to get involved in this kind of thing where you knew Joel was going to be scrappy. That's you know? true. You, I mean, you know, Joel's going to punch him in the nose, you know, Joel's but Benjamin, right. I don't know. He might've said girls, let's just get in the car and go home. I'll, uh, eight. Right. What right? do they owe you? I'll pay you that. <laughs> right. Basically. Yeah. And you know, speaking of Benjamin, like definitely, I think that they did go over the top and showing how tall he was. We were kind of talking about that, how they pointed out how tall his townhome was like she was wearing heels and she still barely came up to his chest, really. I mean, yeah. he's enormously tall. I do want to take a one second to say that um I really I really wish this relationship will work out, but I'm feeling bad about it because we missed over the part on the dinner scene when Rose asks, Well, what does Benjamin think about this? And she says, Benjamin's not important crap. Because earlier in seven, sh- this was the first guy she slept with. After being only with Joel. And so I was like thinking, okay, like this is, this bodes well, you know? Yeah. And, oh man, I, now I'm really, this is not calling Benjamin and calling Joel instead just feels like, oh no. Is there ever a moment when Lorelai called Christopher for a similar kind of thing? Didn't need anybody punched in the face, obviously, but needed help and, um, it you know, God, I'm feeling very put on the spot, but but I will say that there was definitely always tension between Luke and Christopher in terms of who she did turn to because she, you know she had this longstanding relationship with Christopher where it's just like you know first of all it's the father of her child and so the fact that he's always going to be around and Luke's responses to that is I'm never going to like that you know I'm never going to be okay yeah. with you dealing with Christopher um so I would say in in that regard that yes that that dynamic completely exists I don't think that she calls him necessarily um I would say that that there was another time when uh, it's I mean, a different dynamic <laughs> where kind of calls off the wedding and goes with girls because you know, it's kind of it's kind of the same, right? There was another dynamic with Max where um, Luke ha- has been over the house to fix something, where she had called Luke to come and fix something instead mm-hmm. of her current beau Max, mm-hmm. and he had left his toolbox there. And so Max is there and Lorelai are in the house and Luke comes back to get the toolbox. And he's like, I'm here to get my tools because I was here fixing stuff. And Lorelai just <laughs> goes, put those things away, you know, like, you know, meaning they're swinging their dicks around. Right, right. Because, yeah, there is definitely that sense of like who you call when you need help is a huge indicator of, you know, where your heart and mind are, you know. So, yeah, I think calling Joel... And it pisses me off just from like a girl standpoint that, you know, they were so strong and and able to do so much. And and then at the end of the entire tour, I mean, it's actually like a big fat joke that they have to call in a guy to come and basically fix it for them. I I just I feel like they do continuously have those moments. Like, remember Abe driving them back 
from the gig in the car and they're both sitting in the back seat. Like neither one of them, like yeah. not, Midge doesn't sit up front either. And then they get back to the house and it's like, are we in trouble? I don't know. What do we do? I don't know. That whole thing. There's a lot. And I know that is a father and a daughter, so it is different. But there's a lot of this male female dynamic that, again, like I said, I think we're getting set up for season three, where I hope there's a moment where it seems reminiscent of this, where she could call a man to come fix it. And somehow they figure it out themselves and they don't need to do that anymore. And that'll be like a big character growth moment. That jackass had taken it to the physical realm basically you yes know? yes and and in that time period you know it was still okay to hit your wife basically you know what i mean sure i i think that all of it could have gotten physical with those girls so it, i mean they were and it's okay to be this way but they were out of bullets if it's gonna if it's gonna be physical you know of course yeah no i don't fault them i just i i wish the police probably wouldn't have helped there was no written contract yeah i know? just yeah it, it's it's more about just being sad that, that that those were the times i don't think that it was an inaccurate portrayal i just think as like oh man that's just that sucks you know that and again it shows how much growing up that both Susie and Midge still have to do in terms of like how to run a business. The fact that there was no contract, the fact that, you know, was being handled all like crazy. There's a lot there that, that can be picked apart, you know? Yeah. Susie might need to start carrying a gun. <laughs> I would love that actually. <laughs> That'd be quite a dark turn for the Mrs. Yeah, Maisel be kind show. of amazing, right? <laughs> it kind of turn a little more like body and Right. Bonnie and Clyde-esque. Right. Remember that episode when Susie, Susie broke that guy's knees? <laughs> <laughs> I would watch that episode. That would be awesome. So what did you think of seven and eight? Would you give a thumbs up, thumbs down? What do you think? Oh, both of them were, were thumbs up. Just highly, highly entertaining. Probably eight a little more than seven because seven's kind of a thinker and Declan is kind of a, a sad sack. But what what he what he represents is 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 worthwhile for the theme of the of the I think probably the whole freaking series. So he's an important thing to go through, and then obviously the the tour. I think it had more funny parts, you know. So and that's kind of why I I, I don't I don't tune in to think much. I, I tune in to, oh because God. I I like to I like the the writing and I like the jokes and I like the the dynamic between the characters and all that kind of stuff. So eight was, was full of that with Susie and, and Midge. I love that. I also think that um, eight was much faster paced for me. Seven was much more of a thinker. There were two parts to that. Um, I do think that the concept of having to give up a lot to sacrifice for your work is something that I think that Amy in particular is very good at depicting in shows. And then also, in her own life, you know, she doesn't have kids. And, you know, we know also that they, she gave up her dance career in order to be able to pursue the showbiz side of things. Right. And so there's a lot about sacrifice that I think that she can write very authentically and speak to. And I, I appreciate how much you can feel the strife, you know, in seven. I am really bummed out about how Benjamin's playing out because I really thought that their chemistry was really great. And I kind of knew when they didn't show us going up and actually showing them anything in bed in his apartment and anything that we were not to get invested in Benjamin. Um, I know it's something that Amy doesn't tend to do, even with Luke and Lorelai and other people, they don't tend to ever show them really kissing that much or certainly no like sex stuff. Um, you might see them just getting up 
out of bed the next day or something, but much more like normal, you know, PJs and, uh, you know, what do you want for breakfast kind of dynamic, not sexy. So, but I just feel like when they just skip those parts, I'm worried. I'm very worried. And I mean, gosh, I feel like it was telegraphed to us with the Benjamin's not important. My God, what, <laughs> what else you have to say? You know, that's just the way it is. So do you remember what was it at ATX when I think it was Amy was talking about how she was getting pressure from the network itself to have Rory have sex with somebody? Yes, I do. Uh, because of the kind of network that they started on, teens had sex right. a lot with the other kind of shows that were on at the same time. And so... It was her own resistance to that it lasted as long as it did to the Dean fiasco, right? So um, it's interesting. I mean, it's definitely part of the way she writes her characters. You know, I think it was that she she did it deliberately to get the character development she wanted, so that it, you knew you knew everything you needed to know about Roy before she made that decision. So that it didn't color what you knew about her unduly. I mean, it definitely colors what you know about her afterwards, but but. You know, she didn't want to on like the second episode, you know, that she goes to a prep school all of a sudden and now she's having sex with people. You know, yeah. she didn't want that. She didn't want to take to it lightly. Rory. And the other part of that, too, was that Dan treated Rory's character like his child. And so he even was still squeamish. Like he was still like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about that she had sex. Like he only wanted to think of her as Rory and Stars Hollow. So there's definitely that part to this. Now, now Rory was a young girl when we met her and they carry her through. Lorelai also is a grown woman, you know, and they never, again, that there was barely right, ever, right. even though she was sexy and, and sassy and all this stuff, like they really never allowed her to have like a sex life. Um, so I'll be interested to see moving forward, especially being on Amazon, being on a streaming service, if Midge will ever, I mean, Lenny, perhaps, will there be like some grown ass woman kind of moment about like taking some ownership of herself and, you know, her sexuality in all of this. And I, I hope that she does. I hope that that does become part of it. Maybe it'll be a little growth for Amy and Dan, too, to be willing to show their women characters being grown, you know, and having a full life. In one of the um, Facebook groups, someone posted a very typical Rory has always had the team Dean, team Jess, team whatever the other guys, Logan. And, and so someone started that kind of thing. Oh, about team like, Benjamin like, or team it, Joel? Like Midge, uh, Joel or Ben or someone else. And then so the poll starts and, and I chimed in and I said, Lenny. And because um, I like their chemistry best Me out too. of all of them. They're hot. And uh, there was a lady whose name I can't remember, but everyone that said Lenny, she went and, and pasted the same response to, and it was something along the lines of Lenny was a real person who was sad and miserable, and he ended up ODing in 1966 or, or something like that. Oof. And and that was like the response to all of my actually responded and like, I know Lenny Bruce is a real person. <laughs> and and uh, I just think it's interesting that they that they brought in a real person. And so I want to see why and what, yeah. what that's all about. And so um yeah, I just think that was funny that that uh, a another Amy show sparked the which boy is the right boy. Well, and then argument. and what's always the punchline to that? 
Well, we're I, never supposed to be team boy. We're always supposed to be hashtag team Rory. I get or, it. Like we're not supposed to be but team it, Luke or team Christopher. We're supposed to be team Lorelai. And that is like where we're supposed to get to in this is it doesn't matter if she ends up with Benjamin or Joel. It matters that she is team Midge and that she figures herself out. I think that's always Amy's message at the end. And when we were there for the Gilmore Girl reunion, that is certainly what all every actor on the stage said. They were all like, at the end of the day, we all wanted it to be team Rory, not not talk about what boy she should be with, but, you know, that she should be a whole person. Whole person. Whole person. Well, on that note, we hope you guys are enjoying our coverage of Mrs. Maisel. We are going to finish up 9 and 10 very shortly, but please check in with some of our other things we're covering. We just finished you the entire first season. You can also catch our coverage of This Is Us on SoManyShows.com. Hit us up over on Twitter or Facebook at Daily Review, D-A-L-E-Y Review. Thanks so much. Thanks. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com, that's D-A-L-E-Y review.com, Facebook or Twitter, or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.